of Jesus. The stone was moved, and he had gone away. The angel said, Fear not, I know whom seek ye. He is risen, this she heard him say. It's too late. Gone, the stone is rolled back. Gone, the tomb is empty. Gone, to sit at the Father's side. Yes, he's gone over death triumphant. Gone, sin is defeated. Gone, he lives forever. stone is rolled back gone the tomb is empty gone to sit at the father's side yes he's gone over death triumphant gone sin is defeated gone he lives Amen. It took about a verse to get warmed up, and then after that, I was okay. <laughs> All right, let's take our Bibles and get ready for some preaching, teaching, or whatever we're going to call it tonight. See how it turns out. We're dealing with their future. The Jewish Jews' future is what we're talking about. And we started this a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we asked the question. We said, well, have the Jews been replaced as a nation by the Gentiles? and as God's people by the church. And of course, over in the book of Hosea, chapter 3, verse 4, we read, The children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, and without a prince, and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without teraphim. And uh, it's asked the question there, in many days, many days. And uh, basically, we noted that, and we recognized the fact that as it says here in the passage in Luke chapter 21, verse 24, that the times of the Gentiles must be fulfilled. So we see that there's no doubt that uh, the Jews are going to have a rough time as long as the Gentiles are in control, but there's coming a day when they'll no longer be in control and Israel will be elevated again amongst all the nations. So <clears throat> what do we know of Israel's future according to the Bible? And we started discussing that and we said, well, 
First of all, they'll experience a future restoration. A future restoration. And over there in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11, the Bible says, And it shall come to pass in that day, meaning the day of the Lord, or if you will, the, the tribulation toward the, the millennial reign of Christ, that day, it says that the Lord shall set his hand upon uh, again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush, from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. So we see here that there's going to be a second time that he's going to restore them or bring them back. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, we know that that hasn't happened yet. It's happened once before with the Babylonian, Assyrian captivity, but it's not taking place a second time. <clears throat> so we're looking forward to that taking place. And so we saw that they're going to experience a future restoration. We said that they're going to experience a total restoration as we looked at Ezekiel chapter 37. We noted that. As we see Ezekiel having that vision of the dry bones and ultimately the flesh coming upon them and the spirit filling them. And then, of course, we recognized also in that same chapter that he's given two sticks, and one of them represents Judah, the other Israel, and the two are put into one hand, meaning that they'll be once again reunited in the end, and they'll become one. And so we noted that, we, we, we realized that, and uh, so along the way we say, okay, what, what, you know, what do we know about their future? Well, they're going to experience a future restoration. They're going to experience a total restoration. And then we began last week, or a couple weeks ago, by saying all Israel will be assembled uh, and come together. And they're going to be assembled and come together. And so that's kind of where we left off. We began to speak about it, and we kind of ended up in the tribulation period. And we made the statement that they're going to be unconverted. And we took the time to go into the book of Revelation, and we looked at uh, chapter 7, where we find the 144,000 witnesses. We talked about how that's to be taken literally, that there's 12,000 from each and every tribe. They're going to go forth into all the world preaching uh, the, the gospel of the kingdom, that the return of Christ is coming. And sure enough, there's going to be many that believe and uh, many that will ultimately uh, receive the truth. And boy, I'll tell you what, the Bible talks about a score of witnesses of all languages, kindreds, and nations. And yet, Israel, the Jew, will be unconverted through that process as a whole. Now, <clears throat> we're talking about that, them as a nation now. And you got to understand, when uh, we're done, God's done with us as Gentiles, and he comes back in chapter 19 of Revelation, no, excuse me, when he come, we see him in chapter 4 of Revelation, in a pictured in John being taken out, we see that over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, we recognize the rapture of the church, of course. And so we as a people, the church, the bride of Christ will be removed. And when that happens, God will begin to deal with Israel again, as a nation again. Because in the Old Testament, he dealt with nations. In the New Testament, he deals with individuals. And so we see that salvation is for you and I as Gentiles, as Jews. Everybody accepts, receives Christ the same. In the Old Testament, he dealt with nations. Different, completely different economy, and as we go into the tribulation, the same thing again. And so here he is going to be dealing with those nations, and the Jewish nation will be unconverted. Now, there'll be Jews that will not take the mark of the beast. There'll be Jews that will receive the truth. However, as a nation, they will still be rejecting Christ, and they'll be unconverted, as we noted in Revelation, as well as in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, when the Bible says, their blindness in part has happened to Israel. 
Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So they're going to be blinded in part as a nation until the fullness of the Gentiles become until that's finally completed and overdone and, and, and completed and finished. So they'll be unconverted. And now here's where we kind of really begin now. And we're going to see here that they're going to be judged. Israel's going to be judged. And again, it's taking place during the tribulation period. Because again, the church has been taken out. And now God is again dealing with Israel and the, the nations. And here we're going to see that his wrath is going to be poured out upon the earth as well as the Jewish people. And they're going to pay a price, a significant one, for once again rejecting him. And so let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. And then we'll pick up. We're going to turn to some Old Testament scripture and see what prophecy has to say about the Jew as we move forward into the future. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together. And we ask, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts. We desperately need you. We pray for your leadership. Lord, Holy Spirit, may you just convict us and change us. Lord, may you draw us to you and teach us what you'd have us to learn tonight. Again, Lord, fill us with your spirit. And may we, Father, truly glean from your word that we may grow in you. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, turn to Ezekiel chapter 20. So we notice in that tribulation period, after the church is gone, uh, the, the church and the bride of Christ have been taken out. God begins to deal with Israel again, that Israel's going to be unconverted at that point, as a nation again, unconverted. But they're also going to be judged. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 34. <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 34. The Bible says, And I will bring you out from the people, and will gather you out of the countries wherein ye are scattered, and with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the people, and there will I plead with you face to face. Like as I pleaded with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so will I plead with you, saith the Lord God. And I will cause you to pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. And I will purge out from among you the rebels and them that transgress against me. I will bring them forth out of the country where they sojourn, and they shall not enter into the land of Israel. Ye shall know that I am the Lord. Now again, we see here that there's a, a judgment taking place that God is going to exact some punishment. He's going to address and deal with the sin He's going to face his nation again. He's going to say, listen, I'm not done with you yet, but we're going to have to get a few things straight before we go forward. This kind of parallels with Revelation chapter 12. Turn to Revelation chapter 12, because we see this aspect of the wilderness being mentioned here in the book of Ezekiel, but we're also going to recognize that they're also going to be dealing with the wilderness in the tribulation period and during that period of time. That is part of their punishment. Even as they've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their rejection of God's plan and His promise and purpose, we're going to see that they're going to once again be found in the wilderness. In Revelation chapter 12, notice what it says, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, and they shall feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Three and a half years. Israel's going to be on the run in the wilderness. For three and a half years, Israel's going to be fleeing from the, the, the Antichrist and from his forces. 
And God's going to care for them and meet their needs in the wilderness. But Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So he's saying, yes, you're going to endure some real affliction. You as a nation are going to be punished for your sin, but I'm going to care for you in the midst of it all. I'm going to take care of you. So here they are moving into the tribulation period. As a nation, they're going to be attacked. They're going to be threatened. They're going to run for their lives. They're going to flee into the wilderness. And God's going to care for them for three and a half years in the wilderness during the tribulation period. But that's part of their judgment. And so they're going to pay an awful price. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Go ahead and turn there, please. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. And at that time, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. He says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. There shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Now again, we're talking about Israel again, and notice again there's going to be a time of trouble such as was never since there was a nation, even at that same time. We think about the afflictions and the the trials and the tribulations that Israel faced and dealt with in the Old Testament. You know, you think about facing the Red Sea. You think about how they uh, were attacked by enemies in the wilderness, even Amalek. We consider that they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness all the things that went on, everything that was taking place. He says there's never been a day in their history like the day that's yet coming. They haven't seen anything yet, is what he's saying. It's going to be harder, more difficult. It's going to be rougher sailing than ever before in their history. And you say, wow, that's not so good to look forward to. Uh Uh-uh. Think about the believer for a minute. Think about how wonderful what we have to look forward to as far as heaven But wait a second, may I remind you, and this is something we don't talk about much, and I'm not trying to make us feel like we're going to lose our salvation, but he does talk about the judgment seat of Christ as the terror of the Lord. I, I think sometimes we fail to remember the terminology and how it's expressed. It is not just a simple cakewalk where we go up there and we say, well, we've lived however we choose, Lord. We've done whatever we wanted since we've been saved. It's going to be okay because I'm a child of God. That's all that matters. Give me my pass. Go. Collect $200 and I'm set. I'm telling you, it's not going to be quite like that. I don't know exactly what it'll be like exactly, but I know this much. It is called a judgment. So there's got to be something going on that we ought to probably take heed and be very concerned and careful how we live our lives after being saved. No doubt that we are secure in Christ. No doubt that our salvation is without question settled. But my, we need to think about what it's going to be. How will we be judged? Why will we be judged? I mean, what, what in the world do we have to lose? If there's nothing to lose at a judgment, then why be concerned or even have one? There's something we can lose then. We need to be very conscious of that. Well, the children of Israel, they have a judgment they're awaiting too. And in that wilderness, they're going to face a judgment. And boy, I'll tell you what, it's not a good sign. It's not a good picture is what we're seeing. 
Now, we often say things like, you know, our God is the God of second chances. And you know what? I, I believe that's true. No doubt about that. But you know, I think it's important that we uh, never forget that although God is long-suffering, He is still just. I think we need to be, keep things in, in balance here. Sometimes we lose balance. Um, again, note how awful Israel's plight is uh, as a result of their disobedience. Somebody says, well, yeah, well, he, at least they're going to get a second chance. Yeah, but not after enduring a lot of hurt and heartache. Not until after they endure all that. I'm just saying we need to think about the consequences of our actions and realize although God is willing to forgive and even restore us to some degree, depending on the consequences of our sins moving forward, the truth is, is that we cannot take lightly sin and its consequences. And so often we do. We think as young people, well, we're just going to go, you know, so a few wild oats, we're going to just go do a few things that we want to do, and then when we're ready, we'll get back with God, and we'll do our thing with the Lord then. But right now, I've got a few things I want to do. I've got some plans, and I've got a purpose to fulfill in my own life. I've decided to go a certain direction, and I want to accomplish some things. Let me tell you something. You may never get out of that as long as you live. This idea that somehow God's the God of second chances, he may be. But can I tell you, you have to be willing to take the chance. And I'll tell you this, through my years of experience, I have noted more that have never come back than ever came back. Amen. Boy, I'll tell you what, that's scary. You mess with sin, it'll bite you, and it'll just hold you down. You better be careful. By the grace of God, some have escaped sin. And I believe that there's no doubt that's possible and able to happen every day of our lives here on earth. But I'm telling you, it's not just God that brings you back. It's your willingness to yield and obey. And boy, we better get that straight. We think about Galatians 6, 7. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Mm, that's scary, isn't it? Boy, we're going to see that with Israel. Israel's going to pay an awful price as he talks about the time of Jacob's trouble. Then we're going to note not only um, they'll be unconverted, not only they'll be judged, but they're going to cry out to God. It's amazing how bad circumstances cause us to humble ourselves. It happens today, I think, still, doesn't it? We get in a mess and we find ourselves in a, as they used to say, a pickle. All of a sudden, we find ourselves looking up instead of just around. Man, I need some help. I am stuck here. Well, Israel's going to find themselves in a real difficult situation. And the Bible's going to teach us they're going to cry out to God. Turn to Zechariah again, chapter 13. Zechariah, chapter 13. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8, we're going to begin there. The Bible says, and it shall come to pass. Now, when it says, and it shall come to pass, what that means, all right, let me just explain it real simply. And I think you say, well, I already know what that means. I know, but I just know what this means, so I'm going to share it. It's going to happen. <laughs> you like that? See how deep this stuff is? It's going to happen. Man, I'm telling you what, it shall come to pass. Amen. When the Lord talks about our salvation and we're going to eventually have a new body and a new heaven, and a, it's going to happen. 
It's going to happen too. Zechariah 13, 8. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die. But the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. I want to note something. I'm telling you, I don't have all the details on this. I can't really explain it completely in 100%, but I'll tell you what, it doesn't look good when it says that two parts therein shall be cut off and die. Can you imagine that? The judgment of God costing you two-thirds of your family, two-thirds of your nation, two-thirds potentially of the entire population of the world. I'm just saying, can you imagine if that was the judgment of God and we would say, well, he's not much of a merciful God unless you're the other third that's left. And you're going, he is so merciful. I'm going to tell you something. Israel's going to go through a time and they're going to lose multiple lives. It appears that potentially two-thirds will be lost. That's an amazing thing. But hold on. What's the result of that? Where does that lead them as a nation? Notice what it says here. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. Look at the change in attitude all of a sudden. What did it take for them to come to this place? God's wrath and judgment. That's pretty sad, but let's be honest. How many people in the world have lived a life to the point where ultimately it wasn't until they were at the very bottom, on skid row, so to speak, they could only look up that they finally turned to him. You know, we kept trying to make it work. We keep trying to find a way out. We're convinced that there's a way to somehow circumvent the circumstance without having to turn to God. And then finally we realize there's no other way out but God. Then we cry out to him. And that's exactly how Israel will be. They'll cry out to God too. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. We're often guilty of waiting too late to cry out to God, aren't we? We look at the Israelites and truthfully, we look at them and think, how foolish are they? Why would they have to go through all of that before they finally realize that God's the answer? And you know what? I'm tempted to think that from time to time as I read through the Old Testament. I look at it and think, are they crazy? Are they out of their minds? After everything God has done for them, how in the world can they not see that God's the answer? And then I just look at my own life. And I realize, how many times have I been guilty of the exact same thing? And I'm not talking about out in gross sin necessarily. You know, we get the idea that unless you're really doing something really bad, that, well, it's okay. But that's not the case. After all that he has done for us, and we're still trying to function and operate in our own strength, why? Why do we do that? Well, that's just normal, preacher. It's not normal for a believer. No, we've mixed it up. That's normal for a lost man or a lost woman, but not someone that has the divine nature in them. We're new creatures in Christ. Why do we allow the flesh to rule us and operate our, our life? 
Man, we don't have to let that happen, and it's easy to let that happen. And we wait way too long to get God in on it. Man, I started noticing some problems in my marriage, and so what did you do about it? What, 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 what steps did you take to get that straightened out? Well, I did this, and I did this, and I started reading this book, and I read this book and this pamphlet, and I tried out this method. And Well, when did you start reading your Bible? When did you start praying and fasting? Well, I haven't even done that yet. Well, I mean, I read my Bible. You know, I read my Bible every day. I'm a good Christian. Really? But it isn't helping, right? Man, are you kidding me? What we're saying is we don't need God yet. We're going to look to mankind. We're going to look to some other means by which to finish or to accomplish the goal of, of restoring our marriage without including God. Why do we do things like that? Why isn't he the first one we turn to? Why isn't he immediately the one we go to and say, God, I don't understand it, but my wife seemed to have an attitude toward me today. I don't get it. Did I do something wrong? Lord, reveal to me through your spirit and through the word of God if there's something I need to change or do. And Lord, if there's something wrong with my wife, may you begin to work in her life and humble her spirit and help her to recognize and see the need to be in obedience to you and to the authority by which you placed over her. And Lord, I tell you what, I'm so serious about this because it's happened more than once that I'm even going to fast today in my life. I'm going to go ahead and actually beg you to do something and I'm going to be searching your scriptures on what I can do to change my life so that I can help her become the person she needs to be. Has anybody thought of doing that when their marriages start to fall apart in the very early stages? It seems to me that we don't. We wait till we're about two years in. We walk in the pastor's office. We sit on the edge of the chair and we say, I'm done. I'm finished. I'm tired of this junk. Oh, you prayed about it? I've been praying and God decided this ain't working. Oh, okay. We're just like Israel. Bad times come into our life. We ain't at the bottom yet. And then the guy comes in. Pastor, my wife left me. I don't know what I'm going to do. I took the kids and the buds and I don't know what to do. Wish you'd have come see me about a year and a half, two years ago, friend. Now you want me to fix your problem? I can't fix nothing. Because only God can and you neglected him for two years now. And now you think he's just supposed to heal it. So you weren't sure if this would be teaching or preaching. We're kind of getting into both here a little bit, aren't we? But anyway, we too often wait way too long to get God in on it. And we look at the Israelites, and boy, we can point out all those times. Man, I can't believe they're getting away from God. I don't know why they won't turn to Him. I don't know why they're not praying to God. Why aren't they serving the Lord right now? How's come they're turning to idols? Our whole hearts become cold and indifferent due to distraction and discontentment. That makes us prone to resist the Lord, to reject Him, and to rebel against Him. And I hope that we stop and think for a minute. God is in the heavenlies, and He wants to hear from us. And we have got to spend more time getting a hold of God and sharing our burdens with Him. I was... uh, encouraged as I talked to Mrs. Parker today 
she was talking and she called me up and we were just talking a little bit and she was saying how she has been struggling, you know, just like all Christians do. We struggle with peace in our lives sometimes when situations come in and man, chaos and confusion seems to be reigning in our life. And here's somebody that physically is in pain consistently and constantly. Somebody that honestly loves to serve and do for others, but yet is bound by her body right now and cannot do the things she wants to do. She's got surgery she's looking at. She's got doctor's appointments consistently. She's always up and down with everything. And all of a sudden she said, but pastor, it was so wonderful. So what's that, Mary? She says, man, it was like this, this overwhelming peace come over me. And it, I can't even tell you, I don't know that I've ever felt peace like this in my life. It was so sweet. It was so wonderful. And I did not want to leave. She says, and ever since I've been feeling that peace. Can I tell you, that's what you and I want. But we'll not find that outside of his presence. You know, he may permit our cries to continue for years and years and years. But his ultimate desire for you and I is that we're found back in the fold and reunited with him. When we've taken steps away from God, he doesn't always just come and fix the problem. He allows us to waller in it a little bit sometimes. Because he's trying to get our attention, he's trying to help us understand when the time comes and he brings that, whatever it is in your life, you'll have to say it was him. And you'll have an appreciation for him that you never had before. Sometimes it gets a little tougher before it gets better. And that's exactly what we see with Israel. It's going to get rough. They are going to be judged. And they're going to cry out to God. And then, wow, Christ is going to come back. Revelation chapter 19, let's look there. Verse 11. Revelation chapter 19. The Bible says in Revelation 19, 11, <clears throat> if only it was 16, 11. <laughs> okay, some of you are catching on. Okay, so anyway, it would have been a sign, right? But anyway, moving on. Okay, moving on. All right, <laughs> whatever. Okay, so you got to remember the, the King James Bible 16, 11. Okay, that, I was just kind of throwing something out there. Okay. Uh, Revelation 19.11. Notice what he says here. And I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, his name is called the Word of God. Look at what's happening here. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and, uh, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. 
And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So in chapter 19, things are looking real rough for the children of Israel. They find themselves in this midst of this Jacob's trouble. It's called great tribulation. And man, I mean to tell you, they're crying out to God. The enemy is beating down upon them and it looks as though they're going to be totally and completely devastated and destroyed. The holy city along with its people will be gone. And Jesus Christ splits the eastern sky. And he comes down with a sword in his mouth. What's that represent? The word of God. He literally speaks and makes every right, every wrong right. Man, he, he, he fills the valley. Uh, notice what it says. Even in that passage, he talks about the fact that the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Man, he's coming back. But it says here, out of his mouth goes the sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations. Those nations that are anti-Christ, those nations that are against Israel. The Bible talks about the slaughter. If you go back to the Old Testament, it talks about the slaughter and how it will appear and look. Literally, that blood's going to be flowing up to the bridle of, the, of, of horses. I mean, it's going to be so high in that valley. It's a horrible thing. So many people will die that day. So many. We've never seen anything like it on earth, ever. But Christ is going to come back. And when he comes back, things are going to change for the Jew. Because the times of the Gentile will now be fulfilled. It will be done. The Gentile will no longer be ruling and reigning, but instead Christ will eventually take his rightful place on the throne of David. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we move forward. What a wonderful thing, how God has a plan and a purpose for everything. And even though in this case where it appears as though the children of Israel have, have no hope, all is lost, he splits that eastern sky. And when he comes back, he writes all the wrongs. Boy, we live in a world today where as believers, we said already this week, if we're not careful, we can get discouraged. Let me tell you something. In chapter 4, the Bible talks about John being taken up. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it talks about how Christ comes in the clouds. He doesn't come to the earth. He comes in the clouds and catches us away. And I'll tell you, just like that, just like that, quicker than I could even snap my finger, He's going to right all the wrongs in our lives. We will be not be subjected to this anymore. Isn't that wonderful? Well, we serve a wonderful God. But let me tell you, He's not to be trifled with. You know, we, we, if we're not careful, that little four-letter word has wrecked and ruined many a person on earth. It's called L-O-V-E, love. Because they focus so much on God's love, they forget that he is a just God. We cannot forget that God is going to hold people accountable for their actions and their deeds. That sin is something he must judge because sin is what created and causes every bit of destruction in his creation, including his son's death. 
Sin has ripped and destroyed everything that God has created. It's just, it is totally and completely ruined everything he sought to create. He's going to have to, it's so wrecked and ruined that he's going to have to create a new heaven and a new earth. That sin has to be addressed and dealt with. And that's why God's angry with sin. And that's why we must make sure that no matter what, we're keeping a short account with God. He's gracious and long-suffering. Thank God for that. So let's make sure that we keep short accounts with him. If we'll ask his forgiveness, as it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's make sure we do that consistently, regularly, and keep a short account with God, and he'll bless us for it. Father, we thank you for this time together. We're grateful for all you do for us. And Lord, may you help us to learn from the example of Israel even. You said these things were here for our learning, or we may not take for granted the grace that you give us. May we not use it as a license to live our lives as we choose. May we understand that, Father, you have given us this grace, extended it to us for a purpose, and that purpose is to have the opportunity to praise you, to to serve you, to, to learn and grow, and to ultimately increase your kingdom. Father, we love you. We thank you for what you do for us, and Lord, may we just always be grateful for all that you do for us and have done and what you will do even. Now, Lord, bless us this time in this service. Meet our needs. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.